As you know, we are soon going to have our uh, sisters move into the convent down the street, um, Sisters of the Heart of Jesus. And uh, it's just a few final details just to get the convent ready. It's just we had to do a lot uh, in between. But hopefully they'll be in there uh, really soon. Um, but it's been really a joy to uh, get to know them a little bit more throughout this process and um, spend some more time with them. And I can't wait for all of you guys to get to know them a little bit more as well. And one of the things that they told us at the very beginning of our conversations was this. They said, Father, well, so they're talking to me and Father David um, at St. Elizabeth. They said, Fathers, our religious life has to come first. And what they said is that it's so easy to just get caught up in the world when our busyness and all the responsibilities and all the chaos and all the anxieties, and it's so easy to get caught up in all that. And if they said, if they're not able to retreat back into the convent, if they're not able to uphold their rule of life in the convent, if they're not able to keep and preserve their life of prayer as primary, then they said, we will just be two women dressed in black. And I thought that was a really beautiful statement that they made, and they said it with such conviction and such passion because they knew how important it is to preserve their religious life, especially as professed religious sisters. And it's actually the, the same idea for the priests as well. We were trained about that in seminary, that, that what comes first always needs to be our spiritual life. It needs to be our intimacy with God. It needs to be our personal prayer life. And only insofar as we're able to pray, are we then prepared and ready to go out and serve. And it's the same with the sisters too. They want to serve. They want to spend themselves and for the sake of all of us. But it's going to be in vain if prayer is not first. And this is really a rhythm, a pattern that you see throughout the tradition of the church, especially for priests and religious. But I would say also even to challenge you guys, that for the laity as well, that there should be this rhythm of first going to the heart of God, of first preserving the sacred, of first building upon your spiritual life, and then you're ready to go out into the world. And we know that once you're out and about, it's crazy, it's chaotic, it's difficult. But the prayer life has to come first. And I say this because this is the order of salvation. This is the way in which God has designed it even to redeem the world. So I'm going to jump real big picture for a moment. When God created the world, he had all of his creation in mind. And he loved all of his creation. And as he created man and woman and, and everything was good and perfect in the garden, then there was the first sin. And after that first sin... God desired for all of humanity to be saved, and he did what he could to bring them back. And he began this process of inviting and restoring humanity back into a relationship with God. But as time progressed, humanity kept turning away, and it just wasn't working. They kept turning away from God. And so what God chose to do was to be strategic. What he chose to do was to form and shape 
a select few individuals, and from there, build a small community that would then be an example, a witness to the rest of the world of what it looks like to be holy, and in hopes that the rest of the world would then be drawn back to God because of the example of those few. And, and this is kind of true in our own lives. We can see, like, whenever we are around someone who really does pray, whenever we are around someone who kind of exudes holiness, we're drawn to those people. There's something about them that stands out. It's different. We want to be around them. And as we spend more and more time with them, we, too, are inspired in our faith, and we are brought to God. And so it's really important for us to see an image of holiness. Show me what it looks like. Show me a picture of what it is to be sacred. And that's what God did by choosing Israel. He chose first Abraham. And through Abraham and his descendants, eventually it became a a nation and and even a kingdom and and a whole chosen race, a, a people of God. Sometimes we say Israelites, sometimes you say Jews, but, but, but basically throughout the whole Testament, the Old Testament, You see, the Lord is in particular showing some, you could say, favoritism to a select few, to the chosen people of God. Why? Is it because he hated everyone else? Is it because everyone else had no chance? No. It's because he wanted to shape and build a picture of holiness so that everyone else would then be inspired and drawn back to God. That was his strategy. Start first with the people of Israel so that eventually the entire world can be brought into the kingdom of God. So that's the order of salvation. And as it unfolds throughout the Old Testament, we eventually get to the point where God becomes man. Jesus Christ becomes upon this earth. And, and it's still in that, that time period, and you can see all throughout the Gospels, that Jesus tends to show this preferential option for the chosen people of Israel. He tends to give the majority of his time and his energy and his teachings to them. And it's not to say that he didn't care about the pagans or the Gentiles. And in fact, we do see stories throughout the Gospels where he kind of makes these exceptions and gives a Gentile an early taste of salvation. But by and large, to the the majority of, of the situation is that it's mostly to the people of Israel while Jesus was alive. But after his death and resurrection... You may recall in the Gospel of Matthew, that's whenever he commands his apostles to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. After his death and resurrection, now the door is officially opened to all of the world, to all of the Gentiles. And that's how we, you can see St. Paul being that apostle to the Gentiles. And now you and I, we take this for granted. Most of us, if not all of us in this church right now, we are Gentile Christians. We take for granted the fact that we were not from the chosen race. Thank goodness you and I find ourselves at this stage in history. And we're able to fully live a life of Christ in the Holy Spirit. 
But it all started with an example of holiness. It all started with a picture of holiness that then inspired the rest of the world to be drawn to Christ and brought to God. Okay, I say that because that gives us a little bit of context for today's gospel. Today's gospel, I have to say, is one of the most difficult passages to understand in all of Scripture because it almost looks like Jesus is being rude. It almost looks like Jesus is sinning. It almost looks like Jesus is grouchy and having a bad day. And you see, we see it that way because we don't know the context and we very quickly read the gospel and we're rude and we're sinful and we're grouchy and we have bad days. And so we kind of superimpose that upon Jesus. And then we're all confused. What does this, what does this mean? But, but that's not what's happening here. And so I want to do my best to try to unpack a little bit of what the church fathers and the theologians throughout the tradition of our church has kind of pointed out about this passage. Because what they suggest is not that Jesus is being rude or sinful. He's the divine son, second person of the Trinity. He's God. He doesn't sin. So we can't read it like that. But we can see that what he's doing there is teaching us something very specific. And I would argue that it's two things, and I'm not personally arguing, um, based off of the, the uh, tradition of the church, they point out two things. One is He's teaching us something about the order of salvation. Jesus is showing a preference for the people of Israel. And this Canaanite woman in the scriptures of this particular passage is not part of Israel. And two, he's teaching us a lesson about persistence in prayer. So I'll unpack that quickly for you just so that that it makes sense. We hope. So... um, First, the preferential option for the people of Israel. So what's happening is Jesus is in uh, pagan territory, Gentile lands, and there's this woman, a Canaanite woman, a Seraphonician woman. And the Canaanites were known to be so idolatrous and to be known to be uh, just sinful and uh, ancestral enemies of the people of Israel. So it was totally scandalous for a Canaanite woman to even be interested in Jesus Christ. But mysteriously, for some reason, she was. She approaches Jesus and she says, Lord, have mercy on me, son of David. She even calls Jesus Lord and son of David. But what's odd here is that Jesus doesn't say anything. It seems that he's given her silence or that he's ignoring her. And it's the disciples that say, Lord, just deal with her like she's on our case. And Jesus tells them, I came for Israel, not for the Gentiles. Then the woman comes up, and this is interesting. It says that she did him homage. And if you were here last week, I gave a homily on the word homage. And what that means in in Greek, how it says proskuneo, and, and that basically means to bow down and worship. That she literally bowed down and worshipped him as if he was, was God. And she says, please, Lord, help. And still, Jesus says, it is not right to give the food of the children and throw it to the dogs. And, and we can read between the lines here. Like, obviously, Jesus is, is pointing out that the children are the people of Israel and the dogs are the, everyone else, the Gentiles. And yes, to call someone a dog is just as offensive back then as it is today. But she responds with great humility and great faith and says, 
Yes, but even the dogs eat the food off the scraps that fall from the table of their masters. And there, Jesus responds in the way that we finally know to be familiar. He says, great is your faith. And her daughter, or her child, son or daughter, I don't remember, her child is healed. And so we see there this lesson of a persistence in faith. Now, um, it's not that Jesus was being stubborn and he needed to, you know, he finally got his mind changed by a woman. That's, that's reading too much humanity into it. Although Jesus is truly human, he's also truly divine here. He knew before this even happened how this would all end. But he's allowing her to be a witness for us of persistent prayer, of a patient persistence in prayer. St. Augustine points out that like, as, we, as, as we are left desiring for something in prayer, our hearts expand, which, which enables us to allow God to fill that expanded heart even more. And so sometimes the Lord delays a response to our prayer so that we can expand our hearts, so that we can express a deeper faith, a a deeper humility, a deeper trust in the Lord, so that there's a deeper relationship with Him instead of just using Him as someone that does magic tricks. There's a lesson here of the order of salvation and persistent prayer. We are invited all to persist in prayer. And as we persist in prayer, our hearts expand, but we also learn the art of holiness. And we learn how to restore and preserve the sacred in our life. And we become witnesses and examples for the rest of the world of what it means to be holy. And as we become holy, so too everyone else becomes holy because they are drawn to God through us. Just as God shaped Israel to be holy, not for their sake, but for ours. So too, God wants to make you holy, not for your sake, but for all those people that are not here today. They need us to be a witness. They are starving for an example of the sacred. And I have to say, my, how easy it is to just neglect the sacred, to just toss it to the side, to just forget, and to just get caught up in everything that's not sacred. It takes work, it takes effort, it takes intentionality, it takes community, it takes humility and a lot of God's grace to preserve the sacred. But as we grow in holiness, everyone benefits. Have you ever felt like God was ignoring you? Maybe you prayed for something And you felt like no one was listening. Nothing's happening. It's not working. Perhaps, maybe, the Lord is inviting you to a patient persistence in prayer. Maybe the Lord is permitting you to expand your heart so that you may become holy, not for your sake, but for all of us. Amen.